had a good week, and I hope that uh, you take opportunity to be involved and engaged in the opportunity this week, whether it's Treat Street, uh, whether it's coming to play games tonight, uh, and there's a lot of things on the horizon as we get into the holidays. Uh, I know Operation Christmas Child is underway, and um, I hope that you'll pick up a box. Uh, there'll be a challenge issued about that in the coming weeks, but there's a lot of great opportunities for you to be engaged with, with you and your family, uh, to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, and that's really what the passage about today uh, concerns, and that is the ability to make differences in people's lives, to leave an indelible impression in the people that we engage in on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, when we become a Christian, we are no longer under the law, and we like to say, well, great, we're under the age of grace, we're under the season of grace, and so we kind of get this idea that we have the freedom to do whatever we want to do, uh, and it's true. I mean, we, we are free indeed. Christ has set us free, uh, but we have to make sure that when we say that we've been set free and we have the freedom to do anything, the Apostle Paul wants to remind us that freedom, first and foremost, demands responsibility. If you look in verses 23 and 24 uh, of the passage, you'll see that it says, I have the right to do anything, uh, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. We have the freedom, you and I have the freedom to do a lot of different things, but not everything is going to be beneficial for our lives, for our witness, for our purpose, and for our spiritual growth. We have the right to say different things. We have the right to do this or that. But not everything, as the Bible teaches, is constructive. Freedom can actually be destructive. And a lot of us, if we think about it, and we want to, you know, if we think about the decisions that we made in our lives, uh, our lives have been marked by an era of freedom. Uh, and that era of freedom, sometimes we've chosen or we've said things. And how many of you have said things that you regret? We all have. How many of you have done things after you become a follower of Christ that you regret? Absolutely. We make decisions all the time. We have the freedom to choose our path. I do not believe that our lives are predetermined so that every decision we make is predetermined or ordained by the Almighty. Now, I believe the Almighty has knowledge of a lot of things. But I don't think, I do not believe in my own understanding of who Christ is and what it means to follow Him means that I have a choice and I can choose to follow Christ or I can choose not to follow him I can choose to go the right way or I can choose to pursue whatever I want to pursue and there's consequences to those choices the consequence of doing what's right can be blessing the consequence of choosing the wrong path can be destruction and you and I are always faced in every decision between right and wrong and a lot of times we're faced with the decision as I've said before we're faced with these decisions uh, a lot of times we are faced with decisions that at either choice we could have three or four choices and all of them seem good none of them are in and of themselves bad and so we have to make sure that we choose God's best in that moment freedom demands responsibility and it demands our responsibility in, in an important aspect that we've got to begin thinking beyond ourselves 
We live in a culture, we live in a society where the me is the most important. And I've said uh, that our society and our, a lot of times even in the church, it's kind of a Burger King theology. Have it your way. You want to have it your way, and that's the way our lives are constructed. We want to have everything that we want, when we want, and how we want. But when we become a follower of Jesus, it's no longer just about us because we have connected centrally to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church, and so we're not an island into ourselves. We need to listen. Our, value, our, our intrinsic value is not tied to our makeup. Our intrinsic value is always connected to others. Um, so to be a follower of Jesus means that you are connected and in a vital relationship with uh, Jesus who is the Son of God and you are vitally connected to other people around you. The freedom of that responsibility, the freedom of our faith, the freedom of being a follower of Jesus demands that we be responsible and that we think beyond ourselves. Let's go back to the Old Testament. If you go back and read the Old Testament, you've got David. David is king of Israel. I mean, when you're king, you're the man, and you can make the decisions how you want. And he happens to go out and while his people are fighting in battle, and he looks and he sees this beautiful woman in the distance on a rooftop, and she's bathing on this rooftop. I, I, don't, know, you know, I don't know how you want to portray it, but nonetheless, uh, David thinks she is absolutely gorgeous. And I have a philosophy about this. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But David takes notice of her. Now, there is nothing, gentlemen, that you and I can do when a beautiful woman crosses our path, okay? Now, we can say all day long that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't go any further than acknowledging that she's beautiful, but the reality is that in the freedom to look comes great responsibility. Uh, and I'm a guy just like all the rest of you are, and that responsibility demands that we don't let our minds and hearts venture into arena or to an area that is going to be destructive. And I kind of think, uh, the way I like to think of it is, uh, let your mind go as far as it wants to go until your wife would jack slap you silly sitting beside you. That's about as far as you need to go. And for some of you, you just need to take a glance and move on uh, because, you know, it's going to lead to destructive behavior. Now, when you notice a beautiful woman, and this is the rabbit I'm going to chase here for a second. When you notice a beautiful woman, it's fine to enjoy the beauty that God has created. You get what I'm saying? We all enjoy the beauty that God has created. And this could be applicable to the women, too. Uh, you see some hot guy walking in, and wow, he's a stuff or what, what, I don't know how you all think, but you, know, you think these things. And so, uh, so you, know, you enjoy the beauty. And so I used to have a youth minister, and I, I, I'm so glad, you're so glad that I'm not in your youth ministry because this is the way my brain thinks. And so I had a youth minister that said, look, when you look and then you turn away and you look back and you begin to lust, then that's where you sin. And so my philosophy was, well, I'm just going to look once and never turn away. And that way I avoid the sin altogether. Yeah, that's the kind of youth student I was. I was very literal, wanting to make sure that I picked apart every little talk uh, so that I could have the advantage. Because I wanted to use my freedom as much as I could use that freedom. And if here's the line, I'm going right up to the line. I'm soaring like an eagle. 
Uh, and that's kind of the way I, the, the, my philosophy. Here's the problem with that, as I've shared with you before. When you and I approach the boundary, we in, will inevitably go over the boundary uh, more, more so than not. And so with our freedom comes responsibility. Men, you need to make sure that you have a reality check with your computers. You need to make sure that you have a reality check with your cell phone or smartphone. You need to make sure you have a reality check with your wives. Because while no one else may know what's going on, I can assure you that he does. And see, that's what happens with David. David thinks to himself, I have the freedom, I'm the king, and I look and behold, there's a beautiful woman, but it didn't stop there. He lusted after her, he took her as his own, they slept together in Hollywood fashion, a child was produced, and then, oh then, the cover-up begins. How do I explain this? We'll call her husband back in from the battlefield. So her husband comes in back from the battlefield, and David's like... I've solved this because he's been in battle. He's going to come home, and I'm sure that they're going to have this marital relationship. Well, to honor, to be honorable for him and his troops, Uriah decides, I'm not going to be with her. I will meet with her, but I'm not going to sleep with her. And it, it, it's kind of known that he sleeps separate. And so then David is, is faced with another dilemma. What do I do about this crisis, basically, that I've created? And so David says, well... I'm going to command my army to send Uriah into battle on the front lines, and then I'm going to have the troops retreat. And that's exactly what he did. And as a result of having those troops retreat, Bathsheba's husband was killed in battle. Now, did David actually take the knife or sword and kill Uriah? No, not at all. But he did murder him. He used his freedom... To get what he wanted, a sensational appetite for another woman. And then when the sin was evolving, when the sin was out of the bag, so to speak, he had to do his best to cover it up. And as a result of covering it up, one man was murdered. Adultery led to that murder. And then we see that David's kingdom... His future was completely torn apart. In fact, as a result of that sin, as a result of that freedom, as a result of that choice to choose to allow himself to be in that situation, we find out in generations to come, so to speak, that the kingdom was divided into two. In fact, there was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and it was a broken kingdom, all because David chose to use his freedom for his own good we don't live in a vacuum our sin our individual sin affects everybody around us and and for a lot of us we don't think that way we think innocently that if it's personal or private sin it has nothing to do with our relationship so to speak it may affect my relationship with god but thank goodness i'm not doing something that is hurting other people around me that's the same thing probably the, the satan's lie that david bought into and the reality is that his personal sin affected another relationship it affected the relationships of the soldiers that were with him that were killed because I can guarantee you that Uriah was not the only one that died on that battlefield that day. All because of adultery, all because of the desire to sin, all because of the desire to have what he wanted in that moment, David forfeits his future. David forfeits the blessing of God. 
so many of us use our freedom to get what we want, to have it our way. Freedom demands responsibility. We must think beyond ourselves. We must begin asking, who is going to be affected by this decision that I'm making? Who is going to be affected by this small, minuscule sin that I may or may not want to choose to commit? How are they going to be affected by the decisions that I make? Why? Because we must become focused on seeking the good of others. And it's so true in the church too. Because if you take in personal sin, and no one, listen, no one may know your story. Nobody may know about uh, the, the space that is reserved only for you. It's between you and God. It's between you and your maker. And you don't disclose that to anybody. But you are foolish to believe that that space that is acquiring your life, that space or that place that is unknown to anyone else, you are foolish to think that it does not affect your marriage. You are foolish to think it does not affect your relationships with your children. You are foolish to think that it does not affect your relationship with the church. Sin affects us all. No matter how great we want to make it, or how small and minuscule we want to make it, the fact of the matter is sin always always affects other people so we've got to think beyond ourselves about who's going to be affected and how are they going to be affected that's the first and foremost of of the apostle paul writing in first corinthians the second point is this paul wants us to understand not only is there responsibility to our freedom but secondly that we need to be mingling with lost people i want you to look in verse 27 of the passage it says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Now, I get people to tell me all the time, well, you know, it's been a long time since I've shared Christ with anyone. And as we begin unpacking what, what we eventually come to the reality is that, well, the reason that you've not been able to share Christ with a person that's lost is because you've not been hanging around lost people. And I know, I know the soundbite, well, we need to, you know, we, we, don't need to, we don't need to spend time with the worldliness. We don't need to spend time with the world. Well, I'm just going to submit to you this. How in the world are we going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth unless we're willing to step out of our highness in the local church, in our pew, and get out on the street to tangibly teach them about Jesus? So I'm all about encouraging our members here at First Baptist, mingle with the lost. Get with lost people. Do not, listen, do not surround yourself with a culture of believers. There's a reason that you're connected to the local church, the body of Christ, because this is the place, this is the hour, these are the moments that we get to sharpen each other as we go out into the world and as we are called by the mandate of Christ to really turn the world upside down. You and I need to embrace lostness. In our society now I'm not telling you to embrace the sin of lostness I'm telling you to embrace lostness in order that we might be able to reach those who do not know Jesus Christ I remember about uh, 10 or 12 years ago when I was serving on staff at a church uh, with with a pastor there and uh, my wife was uh, I guess president of the student government or whatnot in, in her graduate school and she had written these grants to get computers in the graduate school at Tulane and consequently there were a lot of parties that we'd be invited to 
uh, and uh, we would show up at those parties on Friday evening or whatnot. And uh, they're not the sort of party that, you know, typically a minister at a local church would go to. But nonetheless, a uh, minister and I went, you know, she and I would go to these parties. And um, what was amazing, there's two, on two fronts it was amazing. One was I would frequently be questioned at those parties about, now, you're, you're, you know, Tabby tells me that you're a, you're a minister at a church. Yes. Um, and she tells me it's a Southern Baptist church. And I said, yeah, and you're, you're at New Orleans Seminary. Uh, yes, New Orleans Cemetery, I mean seminary. And so uh, I would tell them that, and they would go, well, what are you doing hanging out with us? Now, I got the same backlash from people in the local church there in Louisiana that would say, oh, and I remember the pastor confronted me and said, you know, I'm a little bit concerned that you're going to these parties or whatnot. And I asked him, I said, well, here's the thing. If, we're, if our job, if our role is to share Christ with people, and I'm sharing it with people that are never going to darken the door of a church, or for that matter, have given up on the church, then why can't we make an impact? Just because I'm attending said parties doesn't mean I'm necessarily participating with everything that's going on in said party and and I have to say there was nothing wild and crazy about those parties but the, the reality was that it was it, they were lost people lost people need to have someone to share with them the saving knowledge of Christ at one time we were all lost and at one time someone shared Jesus with us and as a result of a collective consciousness of being shared Jesus we eventually accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Freedom, listen, the call of Christianity gives us freedom. That freedom demands us responsibility. But listen, our calling to become a follower of Jesus does not demand that we stick ourselves in a Christian culture until the kingdom comes. The call of Christianity demands that he has our allegiance, he is Lord and Savior over our lives, and that our mandate is to go out into a lost world, infiltrate that lost world, impact that lost world, let ourselves be a vessel through which Christ fills us up, and we talk tangibly about Jesus. You and I have to be committed to reaching lostness. You and I need to mingle with lost people. The scriptures assume in this passage that believers will spend time with non-believers. Uh, the scripture assumes that non-believers will invite those who are believers to join them in a meal. That's what the scripture assumes. But in our world today, in the Christian culture today, a lot of us don't think in terms of this. We think, no, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus, so I can't hang out with them anymore. Now, and here's why, here's why, here's why the, the church has pushed this, okay? The reason the church, Universal, has pushed that we don't want to hang out with lost people anymore is because lost people end up affecting us more than the saving of knowledge of God has changed us. And I, I want to I piggyback on this a little bit and explore it, because here's the thing. If you're going to mingle with lost people, you better know whose you are. 
You better be willing to stand for the things that are important. You better be willing to give testimony to the hope that is within you. In other words, you better be conditioning and developing as a dynamic follower of Jesus. It's not that we sign up for Christianity and then we throw ourselves to lostness to try to impact it. Listen, the reason we have lost a front when it comes to lost people is not because the gospel is not real. It's not because Jesus is not transformative. It is because we have preached the truth, but our actions have made a mockery out of our beliefs and our actions have shown that realistically we are virtual atheists. That our beliefs do not affect our lifestyle. You and I need to be secure in the person of Christ. We need to be secure in our faith. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. So that as we engage a lost world, they don't change us. Our actions and our fellowship of Christ makes them hunger for what we have. Because here's the reality. When people have ultimately transform, been transformed by the power of Christ and they see that living in you and me, they will hunger after righteousness. Because I can guarantee you they've been taking this and taking that for years and it's left them empty. When people see a person, a, a person that's living in the vitality of the cross, when they see us who has been radically transformed, radically saved, when they see how the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives, they will want to know more about the hope that's within you. Mingle with lostness. Making sure as you and I mingle with lostness that we impact it more than it impacts us that's always the danger but you know if we were serious about our fellowship with Christ if we were serious about studying the word if we were serious about really really pursuing Christ with all there is we wouldn't worry about lost people affecting us they would be concerned about inviting us to their party because we would turn their world upside down as Christ displays his glory in the midst of who we are now when I go to these parties what kind of things would I do well we would go, we would greet. I was always at the food table because there were always great food and hors d'oeuvres. And so that would eventually lead a conversation. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Taffy's going to laugh at this one. Um, we go, and there is a, a guy there who's a lawyer in New Orleans. And uh, all the women are just googly eye over him. I mean, and Taffy, Taffy came home, she goes, Oh, you've got to meet this guy. He's just amazing. Lust, Bathsheba. Remember? Okay. And so, uh, so we go to this party. And she separates from me. Well, his, I'm not going to tell you what his name is, but anyway, he's there. And so uh, we get the time to introduce. Well, everybody thought that I was his counterpart. Uh, so we have this guy, and everybody expected him. And Tammy, no, that's my husband. Oh, I thought he was with Lewis or whatever. And so uh, there was this whole thing about, oh, well, we thought that, gosh, we thought Lewis and him were a couple or whatnot. And so I'm saying, no, not really. <laughs> Great. The food is phenomenal here. Um, Tell you what, it got hot in that room. Um, when they found out that I was a minister, they were so, I mean, it, it's sort of like Jesus when he walks into a town and people sit and want to converse with him. They were so moved by the fact that I would go into their territory. And these are educated people, folks. That I would go into their territory and sit down and have just casual conversation with them and not be pushy, they were intrigued by that because they had assumed 
that religious people, particularly Southern Baptists in New Orleans, were kind of preach you into hell, etc. Um, and what the amazing thing is, is you and I can do that too. We can be so corrosively Christian that we push people away from the gospel. Listen, your freedom demands responsibility. We have a responsibility in how we share Christ. You can share Christ and push people further away. And frankly, I just wish you'd keep your mouth shut. Your witness of Jesus can push people a lot further away than they are today. So be careful in your freedom to share your faith. Know what to share. Know how to share it. And know how far to push people before you push them off the edge of a cliff and they never return to the hope of Christ. Freedom demands responsibility. We've got to mingle with lostness. But then it goes on to say, be careful with what you say and with what you do. Now, this leads me to this discussion. In this passage of Scripture, it says if you go to a lost person, a lost person asks you to come and eat. If you want to go, then eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. Both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Let me bring this up into modern experience. I told you two years ago there's certain things that I don't think are wrong. You remember what that was? Yeah. It's okay to drink whatever. Okay. It is okay to drink alcohol because the scripture does not prohibit it. It does not say thou shalt not drink. It tells us very clearly drink in moderation. So a lot of us as Christians have gone the polar opposites of both. We've either not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. The Bible says it. I believe that said, well, the Bible really don't say it. Um, the other thing is, we've gone the whole other way. Well, the Bible doesn't say we can't drink, so let's just indulge. And we go that whole other extreme. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. The Bible says that whatever you do, make sure you're aware of the choices that you're making and how those choices affect others around you. Because why? Go back to the first part of this passage in chapter 10, verse, uh, verse 23. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Hmm. So, drinking, is it beneficial? Well, you can drink a little bit of red wine at night, and the doctors say that's a good thing to do. You know, the interesting thing about that, I've never met really anybody that just does that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the sound bite they use, but man alive, they have red wine, white wine, blue wine, grape wine, I mean, all, I mean, all the colors of the rainbow of wine, and they drink consistently and constantly and everything else. Not everything that is a right should be a privilege that you and I engage in. And here's the key component for me. Key component for me in my fellowship with Jesus. If I'm with someone and they're lost and we're invited to a dinner party and I go and that lost person who's invited me to go along with them says, you know what, I don't believe it's right to drink. Then guess what? It doesn't matter what I believe about it. 
because based on his conscience, listen, an unbeliever has a moral conviction about something, then I don't need to push the envelope of that individual's moral conviction. Why? Because I'm not concerned about my fellowship of Jesus. My fellowship of Jesus is secure. I need to be concerned about other people's lives who are not secured in Christ. So I need to make every effort with every decision, with every belief, and the logical conclusion of those beliefs, I need to make sure that I don't become a stumbling block to those who so desperately need to be changed by the power of Christ. So, I always get the question, so what does that mean? Just give it to me in English. And so the question comes, so does that mean that you shouldn't drink? What I'm going to tell you is the same thing I believe the scripture teaches. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That's verse 31. And I will tell you right now, it didn't say there, I mean, what, let, let's think about what they drank in New Testament times, ladies and gentlemen. There was no Welch's grape juice, so sorry about that. There was no Coca-Cola, Pepsi, so sorry about no Mountain Dew for you Mountain Dew drinkers. None of that. You drank water or you drank alcohol, and most of the time you'd be drinking alcohol because guess what? You couldn't keep clean water. There was bad water all over the place. So whether you eat or you drink, you drink it to the glory of God, making sure that the decision that you make and the decision that you take impacts people in a positive way rather than pushing them further from the depths of Christ. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Be careful with what you say. Be careful with what you do. Be concerned about the lostness around you and I can't I'll tell you a number of times that I've made decisions and I thought I you know I thought I was aware of the lostness and here's here's the thing do not assume that everybody in the church is saved even if they identify themselves as saved there's a lot of people that believe they're saved and they're lost as the dead is long, uh, day is long so you and I our commitment needs to be the decisions that I, that I make the choices that I take is it helping people in their faith journey to draw closer to Christ or does it have the potential to draw them away? Now, I'll come down on this and say this, that I think we have to be very, very careful about the decisions that we make. We have to be very, very careful about the choices that we take because whether or not we realize it or not, someone is looking at us. Someone is looking at us. And, and sometimes it's our children, but sometimes it's others that we've never even imagined. They're watching our walk. They're watching our talk. They're watching for consistency. They're watching for our fellowship. And we may be, ladies and gentlemen, we may be the only Christ that they ever see. If you're going to mingle with lostness, it's going to require us to be very, very, very keenly, pay keen attention to our attitudes, our behaviors, and what we choose to do and what we choose to believe. We've got to infiltrate that lostness with God's goodness and I can't stand here today and tell you that because of drinking alcohol that there's X number of people that have come to Christ through that but I can tell you today that there's a lot of people have done alcohol and it's absolutely destroyed their family and I think we all we all have stories a lot of you won't drink not because you don't believe it's wrong but you won't drink because you had a father or a mother or a family member that was an alcoholic that was abusive and you you've got enough problems and you don't want to introduce anything else to your situation but at the end of the day it's what our witness is we must care about our witness we must care about the people 
that we mingle with, we must have a sense of urgency, which means in this sense of urgency that we can spend we can spend eternity debating over doctrine. We can spend an eternity debating about whether we should do this or whether we shouldn't do that. And meanwhile, while we're discussing and debating and all these other things, thousands of people are dying every day without Jesus Christ. Thousands of people are dying every day without Christ. How are we involved in affecting that reality? How are we tangibly involved in impacting lives around us? Freedom demands responsibility. We've got to mingle with lostness, but ultimately, ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, our actions, our decisions, our choices, our thoughts, and our statements need to please the Lord. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't seek your own good, but the good of others. And then here's the ultimate thing. This is what Paul writes. Ultimately, we are bringing glory to God. We're seeking the good to impact others. Why? So that ultimately they might be saved. That's the reason we mingle. That's the reason that we engage in conversation. That's the reason that we do what we do. So that people can come to the saving knowledge of Christ. So it demands us to make sure that when we are invited to places... Uh, and listen, as a pastor, you get invited to a lot of places, a lot of different things. I'll tell you, a couple years ago, I was in my office, and uh, it's right when Passion was doing its conferences uh, in Atlanta, which they still do, and I'd never been to one. And so I had a young lady that mentioned me on Sunday, and she says to me, she says, uh, I, would, you like, would you like to come to Passion? And I'm like, absolutely. When, when, when are you going? I didn't realize you would even be interested in Passion. And so um, she tells me the story, well, I'm, I'm, they're, they're coming, and I'd like for you to go, and I'm inviting people. That's awesome. And so I go to lunch. Uh, my secretary, I get back from lunch, and I could tell by looking at her, she was like 13 shades of red. And she goes, uh, so-and-so dropped this off for you. Okay? So I have this catalog open up. Her view of passion was completely different than what I thought passion meant. So what she was inviting me to is one of these passion parties some of you know what those are yeah I see some smiles in the room let me tell you something the catalog was filled it had nothing to do with passion in Atlanta and worship had everything of introducing little gimmicks and little things to your marriage and I was like have mercy she thinks I'm interested in this what's gone wrong with this picture and I remember saying what kind of vibe did I give off that would make her think that I would be interested in this, but the more I thought of it, the more I liked the fact that she did that, and this is why. Because she believed that there were so many similarities between me and her, that my relationship to her and other people was not so pretentious that I would be so far removed from the brokenness and lostness of the world. Listen, if you are never tempted if you don't, on a daily basis, if you're not bombarded by the enemy's methods and temptations, then I'm just going to suggest to you that maybe you're already gone. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are going to be attacked. There's going to be opportunities that come your way. And listen, there are, there are a lot more temptations 
this side of the cross than there ever were on that side of the cross. Why? Because there's one way to Christ, and in our lives today, there's so many, so many things that go on on a daily basis. They're seeking and competing for our attention. There's one way to Christ and multiple ways that lead to destruction. How are we mingling with lostness? How are we engaging lostness? How are we using our freedom to bring glory to God? You may be here this morning and you say, you know, I've never thought about, I mean, I've thought about my relationship with Christ, and that's what I've been concerned about. And maybe today you say, I've never, I've never really been concerned about the impact that I'm having on other people around me. You need to focus on the impact that you're having to other people around you. You need to focus on how your words, how your actions are either drawing them closer to the Father or drawing them further away from God. People who are seeking relationships, teenagers, young adults, middle adults. If you're involved in a relationship with a significant other, you need to ask yourself the question, is that person drawing you closer to Christ or is that person taking you further away? And there's no, there's no well, I, it might be, uh-uh. It's either they're drawing me closer or they're taking me further away. And I'm going to tell you, if they're taking you further away, ixnay it. Get rid of it. You don't need to value yourself. Well, I, I don't want to, if they're lost, I want to draw them closer. Nice try. The reality is this. We have decisions to make with who we date. We don't always have the decisions with who we fall in love with. But we have decisions about who we date. Date people that are going to draw you closer to the Father, not that are going to take you further away. Why do I say that? Because you're faced with enough that's competing for your attention to draw you away. You don't need any other baggage to take you further from Christ. You need to be in relationships, and this is not just for students, this is for all adults. You need to be in relationships that are drawing you closer to the Father. You need to be in a relationship where you're growing closer to the Father as you're growing closer to that significant other. You as a couple need to be growing closer to the Father. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. May we pray together. God, we come to you today and we say in honesty that forgive us for using our freedom in ways that should not have been used. Lord, for many of us, we have accepted Christ and we've just believed our whole lives that it doesn't really matter how we live or what we do or what we say because in the end, we can ask for forgiveness and that's made a difference. And so we, you know, nothing's going to separate us from the love of God and so we're believers. But we've missed the mark. We've missed the responsibility that freedom ultimately demands. Because there's so many things that we can choose to do, but many of those things are not beneficial to us or to others. Lord, as we engage people, as we engage the lostness of our world and our culture, as we touch the face of lostness in Elizabethan and Carter County, what type of Christ do we represent? Do we represent a loving God who is transformative? Do we represent a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and can move mightily in our lives? Are we demonstrating that? Or are we demonstrating a weak, pathetic God when we say that we are Christians? Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, may we do it to the glory 
of God? Are we doing everything that we do to the glory of God? Are we serving in our jobs to the glory of God? Are we running our businesses to the glory of God? Are we running our families to the glory of God? Do we love our children to the glory of God? Not seeking what people want, but seeking what you have impressed upon us. God, as we come to you today in this invitation, may we recognize our freedom. May we accept our responsibility. And for those who have never trusted in Christ, we want to give them an opportunity. If they say this morning, I've, I've never really accepted Christ, I'd like to know more about how to do that. We want to help them this morning as they come. If there's others that want to recommit themselves and say, I have completely missed the mark of responsibility. I freely accepted the freedom of Christ. I'm so glad I'm not in the chains anymore that I once was. But I've used the freedom I've had for my own desires and my own initiatives. I've had the Christian life my way. And today I recognize that ultimately it's His way. Lord, help us to be pleasing to you. If there's others who say, I want to be a part of First Baptist Church, I want to be connected to this family. Lord, however you're leading, however your spirit's directing, may we be faithful. Father, this is the invitation. Where you speak, where you invite us, it is your moment, it is our moment to respond. May we be faithful in how you're leading and how you're guiding. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand.